to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Another impressive signing day haul for the Oregon Ducks. Already a top 10 class have vaulted into the top five with a couple of big time flips. What does it all mean and how does it uh, shake out for the roster going into the Big Ten in 2024? Spencer McLaughlin covers Oregon Duck football on uh, the Locked on Ducks podcast, Locked on Pac-12 podcast, and of course an Oregon Duck contributor to 750thegame.com and he joins us now. Uh, big picture takeaways today, Spencer, uh, from signing day. Where where does your mind go when you look at the haul that Dan Landing and company brought in? Yeah, pre- pretty impressive group of players there. But I think the most impressive element of all of the shooters is that not a single player who was verbally committed to the Ducks coming into signing day, this early signing window, which, you know, is a discussion of its own, not a single one flipped away from the Ducks. They had players flipped to the Ducks at positions where they had, you know, a couple decommitments in the last uh, a couple of weeks or months, but they didn't have a single player who was verbally committed that decided, no, I'm going uh, to go play my college football elsewhere, at least to, you know, begin uh, someone's college career. We all know that uh, a healthy number of these guys will be in the transfer portal one day. That's the way college football just kind of works. But, yeah, I, I think that was what stood out to me the most is everyone who was verbally committed stayed verbally committed, and uh, I think that Dan Lanning's got himself a talented class, and he just continues to show his uh, his, his moxie as a recruiter. Now, uh, either side of the ball, defense or offense, um, wh- wh- who do you think had the better day recruiting-wise today? Yeah, I, I, I'd say defense. You know, it's a, defense, uh, a defensively heavy class uh, for the Ducks, which shouldn't be a surprise. You know, Dan Lanning being a former defensive coordinator at Georgia, Tosh Lupoy arguably – the best individual recruiter on the staff, at least historically, when you look at his pedigree, Lanning would be up there as well. Both guys are on that side of the football. And you look at the big five-star names, and they are on the defensive side of the ball, and Aiden Breland and Elijah Rushing. And you look at a lot of the high-end talent that's in the class, and there's, you know, Braden Platt at linebacker, Ifeo Bedegwu from Pennsylvania at uh, defensive back, or Aaron Flowers at safety from Texas. I mean, they're, they're just – a lot of guys on that side of the ball. I think that's kind of what you would come to expect, and it's not as if Oregon is lacking for high-end talent on the offensive side of the ball, whether you look at their transfer portal hall with two quarterbacks they brought in or guys who are already on the roster. And then there are some good players offensively in, in this class. You know, Jeremiah McClellan, I think, generated the most headlines today, flipping from Ohio State. And Steve Wilfong described him as the most ready-to-contribute receiver that's, that's out there, or one of them anyway, and he's top 100 players. So, um, yeah, I, I think that it, having a defensive lean is to be expected for, for Oregon going forward, and I, I think they're still going to you know, ha- have players from this class that you look back and say, yeah, they were big contributors from the offensive side of the ball too. When you approach a signing day like this, I know you've seen a lot of them come and go, and uh, it's so easy to get really excited and, and hyped and five-star, four-star, you know, flip, signing, and then – you know, it's also a different world, Spencer, in, in the age of the transfer portal and NIL. You know, where does your mind go when you balance everything between excitement and optimism over highly heralded incoming talent with the reality that decent chance these guys don't make it three, four years and, you know, the world will keep turning? 
Well, first of all, I love your characterization that I've just seen so many of these in my days <laughs> as, a, as a broadcaster and as an Oregon fan in, in general. Um, I, I'd say, well, anyway. That's you old head, you. Such an old head. I don't want to <laughs> make you guys feel too old o- o- over there, but I think that for, for Oregon fans or fans of any program listening to this, like, in the transfer portal world, you, you do need to understand when you bring in a class of 20 or more kids the way Oregon has or Washington will or Washington State has as well up in Pullman, I know Oregon State doesn't quite have the volume that I'd be, yet. I'd be surprised if that doesn't change before uh, the next signing day in February. I, I think you just have to understand what the landscape is. And if it's in a high school recruiting class of, you know, 20 to 25 kids, you're going to have, you know, a couple – maybe who make an impact as true freshmen and in terms of you know fully standout stars you're probably looking for like three or four and other guys could be good players and contributing players but that's the reality in the portal world is you go look at you know Oregon's highest ranked recruiting class of all time and that was 2021 uh the last full cycle under under Mario Cristobal and there were a lot of big time names in there and Two of them were Kingsley Suomatia, who never made a start for Oregon, and Ty Thompson, who never made a start for Oregon. You just can't know what is going to play out for these kids over the course of their careers. And you keep going down that 2021 class, and you do see players like Jeffrey Bossa or Jackson Powers Johnson, Troy Franklin was in there as well. You see guys who end up having really good, productive careers. So, you know, high school recruiting is definitely not what it used to be and it doesn't play out the same way on the roster, to say it doesn't matter would be would be wrong. But to say that it's exactly the same or that the same number of players from a given high school recruiting class, even a talented one, are going to contribute in a major way over the course of their college careers would also be incorrect. Spencer, do you think uh, the, the recruiting class this year – does it look any different than you know the past couple of years with Dan Lanning? Now that they're in the Big Ten, do you think has the recruit changed, or is it still kind of going about the same way that Lanning's always approached the recruiting classes? I, I don't think it's changed for Lanning. You know, I think that what Lanning focuses on is different than what Mario Cristobal and company focused on. You know, Cristobal I think prioritized uh, physicality at you know every single position, frankly, and I, I think Lanning is a little bit more geared towards finding not just athletic freaks but but fast players and he you know wants to have more speed not like the undersized speed of the the, the chip kelly days i don't think but i, I think lanning brings that kind of sec pedigree and understands you know the, the type of player that he's looking for to build uh, a national championship contender and, and make no mistake about it even though oregon uh, isn't going to be in that discussion directly this year they're a national championship caliber team. It didn't work out for them, of course, but to say that, you know, just because they lost to Washington by three points for the second time in the Pac-12 title game, that suddenly at 11-1 and one, we should have looked back and said, no, they were, they were frauds all the time. We never should have gotten excited or anything like that. No, they, they, they were that good. Washington is just, was just better this year on the field. So I, I think that for the Ducks, you know, their, their strategy doesn't change. I think Lanning has a very clear idea of what he wants. He wants to build a great defense and, you know, use the portal, I think, to supplement with some great offensive players, particularly at quarterback. He's, you know, two for two on bringing in transfers uh, at this point in time. So I, I think he, you know, wants to build a high school team or, or a high school 
uh, laden defense and, you know, understand that for the transfer portal, there are going to be plenty of options offensively. The last time we had you on, Spencer, uh, we were talking about the theory of Dante Moore coming to Oregon. You wrote about it at 750thegame.com, and we're basically making an argument for why it makes sense for both Dante and the Ducks for him to to come back to Eugene, even after the addition of Dylan Gabriel. Here we are, lo and behold, it it came to fruition. You know, it became a reality. Now that it's uh, locked and loaded, what what do you think of Dante Moore's addition to Eugene and what it means for the QB room of the future for Oregon? Well, uh, first of all, it's obviously the second time that I have used my mythical powers to speak something into existence. <laughs> the uh, the first time was uh, right out of college. I worked at Eastern Oklahoma State, a junior college out in uh, southeast Oklahoma. And Heck yeah. on my radio show, I was talking about how it was National Donut Day. And I really wanted a donut because I was just talking about it. I was like, yeah, donuts sound really good. No, no less than 15 minutes later, a woman from the local donut shop walks in and says, I was listening to your radio show and heard you wanted donuts, so I thought I'd bring you some. And she had half a dozen donuts for us to have at the station. So, it doesn't get better than uh, that, Spencer. I No, 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 it, it, it truly does not. And, and I'm being facetious, of course, because there were a, a lot of people saying, hey, you know, Dante Moore to Oregon can make sense. And I was against it at first. As as far as it went to, you know, have Dante Moore starting at Oregon in 2024. But Dante Moore is a backup at Oregon in 2024. I don't know that there's a better home for him out there. You're going to be learning from a six-year quarterback in Dylan Gabriel, from an offensive coordinator in Will Stein, who has had wildly productive and quarterback-driven offenses and has put up great numbers with two different signal callers over the last couple seasons at Oregon and UTSA. Ty Thompson showed clear, measurable growth in, you know, the production he was able to to have on the field and the opportunity he did get whilst at Oregon. I think Will Stein has done nothing but, but instill confidence as an offensive coordinator and as a quarterback's coach. And, you know, Oregon's going to be able to bring in weapons every single year. The offensive line has been elite the last couple of seasons, and it should be again next season. I think that it's a great spot for Dante Moore to be in, and, I wasn't super high on him transferring from UCLA because I just watched Chip Kelly develop Dorian Thompson-Robinson, but um, I, I think that he, he found the best spot possible. Well, you know, it's it's funny. I'm just remembering when Will Stein got the Oregon job, I looked up some UTSA stuff. I'm just remembering now that Frank Harris, his QB there, uh, is a lefty. So he knows how to you know tailor his offense to a left-handed quarterback. He's done it before. That's, so. a, great, that's a great point. And as everyone who who plays or played NCAA 14 knows, that makes it really difficult. <laughs> you still there? Did we lose you? Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm still here. I didn't know if you wanted to ask me a question well, or if I was okay. Who, to who, who to is your uh, Who is your lefty in 14? Who you Who you was that? Uh, no. I, no. I ne- no. I never. I never had a lefty. I, I oh. one time on my dynasty, I, I recruited a kid. Um, I don't remember where he was from, but I, I recruited a kid and, you know, started him. Never paid attention to the fact that he was left-handed. I, I, I took one snap, and I think I called a sprint out right, and I was like, oh, okay, i got to remember. And then three plays later, I called another sprint out, and I called it to the right, and it all went awry, and I was like, yeah, this isn't going to work. And then I just benched him and cut him in the offseason. Well, sprint outs, these half rollouts, sounds like Will Stein at UW, you know, these little uh, <laughs> pocket movers. 
dude, that play, yeah. that little half rollout, that little half field, you know, read or whatever. And I know there's different variations of it. It either looks really bad or it works out like it, it, you know, it's either like a great call and, you know, but aesthetically it just looks hard because, you know, it's, it's not much of the field, especially Bo rolled left on one of those in the UW game. Wasn't that the, the last fourth down? He was trying yeah, to get the, it to yeah, the Tez. Last down, they went, they went sprint out switch uh, with a switch concept and yeah. Washington was in zone. So they defended it really well. And I'm just like, man, when you don't get that, it looks like such a, you know, uh, it, it sounds like it, it feels like you're trying to uh, thread a needle, you know, with, with that. I'm like, there's yeah. better options to do there, but you know, that's yeah. I'm yeah, not calling yeah, no, plays. I, I, you know, Joel, Joel Klatt after that first Washington game had, or I thought it was a really good takeaway, and it was, I don't have a problem going for it. I have a problem with the execution and play call. And what his point was, and he is correct, is that. Bo Nix all season long was really good at what and often took slack in the Heisman race for checking the ball down too often. Why did he check the ball down? Because he was reading the defense and saying, you're giving me this. And, yeah, I could maybe try and force the ball down here, but you're giving me this. You know, the uh, first touchdown to Bucky Irving in the Civil War I think is a perfect example. Washington, or Oregon State's taking away everything all the way down the field, and Bo Nix just stands there. His offensive line gives him time, and he just swings out to Bucky Irving, who sprints out the sideline for a touchdown. And Joel Klatt's point on the first Washington game sprint out calls were, Bo Nix is great at surveying its defense, identifying the coverage, and understanding where he needs to go with the football. And he made an adjustment to his credit. The Pac-12 championship game, Oregon converted a fourth and goal and a fourth and five. And they did call a different sprint out on third and goal that right is, you know, it worked out because Terrence Ferguson made a one-handed catch, but Right as, you know, Bonick snapped it, it, it was just kind of like, oh, boy, we're really going to try this again. And then it worked. And it was a different variation. They faked quarterback runs, so it wasn't exactly the same. But I, I think that, you know, you got to play to your quarterback's strengths. And for Bonick, that was letting him sit in the pocket and just dissect a defense and understand this is where the football is going to go, and I'm going to get it out on time and on target. And then sprint out takes away that ability. And that was class issue with it, and I think he made a really good point. Uh, what do you think is going to happen with this Fiesta Bowl against Liberty? Well, I can't say that I've watched a single Liberty football game this year because I, I, I tend to watch relevant Power 5 <laughs> college football. However, um, you, you know that the Flames are going to be supremely motivated. This is the biggest game in the history of their program. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. It was that for Tulane last year in the Cotton Bowl against USC, and it's going to be that for Oregon here. And, um, uh, the Ducks are going to be without a couple key players, but I think you're going to have an opportunity to see some guys who, you know, could step up big next year. I'd look for Cole Martin in the secondary. He could start potentially, uh, depending on who decides to play and whatnot or how they man- manage the depth chart. But, uh, you know, I-, I-, I like watching football. I- I'm an Oregon fan, so I like watching Oregon football. And I expect the Ducks to come out and, and win the football game. Will they cover 17 and a half? I don't know. Um, the public has moved that line pretty substantially, though I think it might have adjusted once Bo Nix announced he was going to play in the game, which I think is awesome. And, you know, Bucky Irving's going to do that as well. I, I think that for the Ducks, you're trying to create positive momentum. That's what everybody not in the championship picture is looking to do into the offseason, and they've certainly done that with signing day, and you'd love to do that one more time on the field.
Spencer McLaughlin, Locked On Ducks, Locked On Pac-12 Podcast, and Oregon Duck contributor to 750thegame.com. Keep reading you there, Spencer, and appreciate the time that you take for us on the air here on the Bald Face Truth. Keep up the great work as always, and we'll uh, talk to you again down the road. Yeah, anytime, Judah. Appreciate it. There he is, Spencer McLaughlin, joining us on the Bald Face Truth. Play some Dan Lanning and Trent Bray audio as we move into our 5 o'clock hour, plus the 5 at 5 and Pudgett audio. More of your phone calls at 503-417-7575. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazzano on the Bald Face Truth.